A listener to the podcast suggested that I weigh in on a current controversy regarding offensive scientific names and whether they ought to be replaced. The issue is not as simple or straightforward as it might at first appear. To begin with, who gets to decide that a name should be replaced? How many people must it offend, or just how offensive must it be in order to be allowed to set aside the rules that govern scientific names? As a fan of the Ohio State University's football team, I find the epithet of the Noctuid moth, Kepelbeferon michiganensis, offensive. It would please me to replace the epithet with Tonensis, referring to that team up north, rather than having to utter the name Michigan. I'm pretty sure that renaming the moth would offend just about everyone north of the border. So whose feelings matter more, mine or the population of an entire Midwestern state? In reality, I would find it far more offensive to restrict the freedom of thought and speech of taxonomists, even those living in Michigan, than to tolerate the name that offends me. Complicating things further, what people perceive to be offensive changes through time along with milieus and social norms. What was perfectly acceptable in the 18th or 19th century, we may regard as offensive today. And what we find fine now may give offense to those a hundred years from now. Given the permanent nature of our system of nomenclature, this makes offensiveness to someone unavoidable sooner or later. There is simply no way to anticipate what may give offense in the future or to stop the evolution of societal sensibilities. Are we to allow every generation to go through the catalog of species and rename any which they dislike? Stability has become a hallmark of the International Code of Zoological Nomenclature. If that stability goes away, if we respond to every perceived offense with a replacement name, we would soon return to the chaos that existed before the code. It would be difficult to know which names to use for a species at any given moment or in which country, and pulling together biological information published under multiple names would be challenging, to say the least. On a planet with millions of species, in the middle of a mass extinction, this would set a terrible precedent. My Michigan example, of course, is silly. We need one that is more universally seen as offensive. I can think of no better example than a small, pale, blind and flightless cave beetle from Slovenia named Anophthalmus hitleri. Yes, that Hitler. Any ethical person should be offended by the mere idea of honoring such an evil human being. By 1937, when the species was named, there was unequivocal evidence of the despicable nature of the rising Third Reich, including prison camps for those who dared question its views or authority. Thus, even with little direct knowledge of what Oscar Scheibel knew when he named the beetle, it's difficult to cut him slack. Further, there are honorable people who, through no fault of their own, share the surname Hitler who may be quite deserving of an epithet in their honor. So it's not the epithet Hitleri that gives offense, but rather the assumed intent behind the patronym to honor one particular despicable Hitler. Perhaps we're looking at this name in the wrong way. Instead of accepting it as an honorific, even if it was originally intended as such, why not choose instead to see it as a reminder of the horrific depths to which humans are capable of descending? and a cautionary tale to consider all the angles before naming a new species. Along with death camps and Holocaust museums, we could decide that preserving the name of this beetle 
is one more way to remind ourselves of an ugly, inhumane chapter in world history that we should never forget. Papering over uncomfortable facts of history, rewriting it to avoid feeling offended, could contribute to repeating past mistakes. Better that we be uncomfortable and remember. Better that we learn from history and past mistakes than pretend they didn't happen. Most offensive names are not so extreme. They exist somewhere along a spectrum, from the trivial, like my Michigan moth, to the most disgusting imaginable, such as the case in the Hitler Beetle. They are challenging because it's not clear where to draw the line or whose feelings to protect. There are species named for the Pope, for example, that may offend people of other faiths or atheists. Species named for European explorers may conjure up negative feelings about the colonial period. Evolutionists could find names named prior to Darwin offensive, as most were coined by creationists. And the opposite, of course, is true, too. Creationists may be offended by species named by evolutionary thinkers after Darwin. There is no end to the ways in which people might be offended, and few objective criteria by which to adjudicate among differently offended people. Gary Nelson once commented that honest men must exist, but that he had never actually seen one. The same may be said of perfect people. If they're out there, I have yet to meet one. The human condition is complicated and nuanced, and we each hopefully learn from our experiences, shortcomings, and mistakes, and acquire a measure of wisdom in the course of a life lived. We can choose to judge people by their best or worst actions or some balance of the two. This is not to say that all offenses are forgivable or that we should pretend that character flaws don't exist. But it is to say that in focusing on great achievements, even those made by imperfect people, we create worthy aspirational goals with which society can improve itself. It's good to memorialize heroes, even flawed ones. That's why history books have so many footnotes. The code advises against foul language, but what about foul language that's cleverly disguised? Jim Packluck named a beetle genus Foadia, whose root is said in his publication to be an arbitrary combination of the letters F, O, A, and D. But this was a ruse to get the name past the journal editor. The name, in fact, is an acronym for F off and die. Does it give offense? I suppose to some it does. But I find it hilarious, and one of many examples of the humanity behind the implementation of otherwise dry nomenclatural rules. Those who attack the memory of Thomas Jefferson because he was a slaveholder choose to see a half-empty glass. Slavery is one of the ugliest stains on the human race, one of the most loathsome scars on human history. But to judge people from the 18th century by 21st century standards is both naive and unfair. This is not to forgive the barbaric practice, merely to see it in its historic context. Deciding to see the glass half full, one can choose to celebrate Jefferson for putting into words self-evident truths that inexorably led to the demise of slavery. That vision, that moral clarity, was an act of courage in a time when slavery was shamefully accepted widely. Could he have been more courageous, at least leading by example and liberating his own slaves? Certainly he could have. But this does not take away from the moral compass in his words. While he failed to follow its true north, his noble thoughts and words set a nation on path to abolition, to honoring the dignity of every human being, and to taking the measure of individuals based on their character and accomplishments 
rather than race, gender, ethnicity, or social status. The code is only as stable as we allow it to be. A good case can be made to rid ourselves of the Hitlerite epithet, but once we step onto the slippery slope of expunging offensive names, it immediately becomes difficult to draw a clear line, to decide whose feelings count, and just how offensive a name must be in order to deserve replacement. So long as names are formed according to the rules, they enter the annals of nomenclature. Scientific names are the unique identifiers by which we organize and retrieve knowledge, but they're also time capsules reflecting the history of civilization, a history we can only learn from by keeping its record intact, including the good, the bad, and the ugly. The code cautions against names that give offense, and this is good advice that should be heeded by taxonomists. Journal editors and peer reviewers are gatekeepers, too, for current sensibilities and can help filter out offensive names before they're published. It is worth remembering, too, that while replacing a name might make us feel better, the offending name does not go away. Even when replaced, it becomes a junior synonym and continues to exist and to be recognized and perpetuated in taxonomic publications. This is unavoidable. It's the only way in which existing knowledge, published under the offending name, can be retrieved. As strong as the impulse is to bury epithets like Hitler eye, we must be careful not to unintentionally engage in the same kind of suppression of intellectual freedom that was imposed by Hitler and tyrants throughout history. Our current pop culture is not entirely blameless in this respect. We're not sending those who say things we find offensive to prison camps, but we are canceling them, making them social outcasts, sometimes causing them to lose their livelihoods because they dared to express ideas or words not approved by a self-appointed, politically correct police force. As the self-righteous tear down statues and rename buildings they find offensive because their namesakes were imperfect humans, they tear too at the fabric of intellectual freedom and the objectivity of history. It's good to be offended from time to time. By not making nomenclature a safe space, we are forced to think about our beliefs and why we take offense, to deal with the facts of history and what we might learn from them, to examine the ethical basis of our concerns and look in the mirror to see whether we are measuring up to the principles we profess to hold. Even when we are doing pretty well, without exception if we're honest, we, like the historical figures we so easily condemn, come up short. Tolerating some offensive names may just be the price to pay to defend freedom of thought and speech for everyone. If that is the toll to avoid censorship and suppression of minority views, I, for one, will gladly pay it. It's easy to protect words and ideas with which we are in agreement, but adhering to the principles of freedom of thought and expression demands that we defend also those ideas and words with which we violently disagree, including those which we may find offensive. For the Species Hall of Fame, this is Quentin Wheeler. <music>